Hey, here we are again. Welcome to Music Heads, your weekly essential music digest. I'm Bill DeVille. In this installment, we'll have a chat with Peter Pisano of Peter Wolf Pryor. He's going to talk about what he's been digging musically on the guest list. For the essentials, the Currents Morning Show co-host Jill Riley will discuss one of her favorites from the Flying Burrito Brothers. Co-music director Melanie Walker has the next big thing. She's all set to talk about Texas bluesman Gary Clark Jr. In the music meeting, we'll talk about another Texan, Annie Clark, better known as St. Vincent. All in this installment of Music Heads. But first, it's time for the music cast. Jill Riley is out today. Joining me is Melanie Walker with the news. Morning, Mel. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Going good. All right. Well, we have a lot of big headlines this Mm -hmm. week. The first of that most people have heard already, but if you haven't, REM announced their breakup. In a statement posted on their website, REM surprisingly declared last week that it was time to part ways. Initially, the band didn't give a reason for the decision, but as the week progressed, each member eventually made their own statements about the breakup. Fortunately, it seems to be the consensus bill of the group that it's simply just time to move on. Michael Stipe posted on the website that a wise man once said, the skill in attending a party is knowing when it's time to leave. That sounds about right, doesn't it? And 30, well 31 years is a pretty good run. Oh, I'd, I'd say so. Mm-hmm. He also said, we built something extraordinary together. We did this thing, and now we're going to walk away from it. Uh, additionally, REM's going to be releasing their Greatest Hits album. It's actually their second Greatest Hits album, Bill, I think. Right, uh, right. Um, but this one's going to be coming out on November 15th. The compilation will be titled Part Lies, Part Heart, Part Truth, Part Garbage, 1982 to 2011. That's going to be a pretty huge, great title. <laughs> it is a great title. And I think it's funny that they're admitting that some of it's not going to be that great. Yeah. You know, they've had a, I, I remember seeing them at First Avenue back in the early 80s, and there was about uh, 40 people in the audience, a $4 ticket. And one thing I really like about REM is they never did the super spectacle U2 sort of overblown concert tour. They kind of kept things about the band and the music, which I think is pretty great. Coming up, uh, there's going to be a tribute to Bob Mould, Bob Mould of Husker Du. After publishing his memoir earlier this year, Bob Mould, the frontman and guitarist of the legendary St. Paul band Husker Du, will be paid tribute to by a handful of artists influenced by his work. It's uh, called See a Little Light, a celebration of the music and legacy of Bob Mould. The concert will be held at the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles, California. And Bill, check out this lineup. I see that. Wow. Not only is it a great venue, to do any concert at, uh, but it's also got a really hot lineup. No Age is going to be on there, mm-hmm. Best Coast, Dave Grohl, Ben Gibbard. Talk about all the yeah, big frontmen. It's you know? an A list. Yeah. It's not the B list. No, it's the A list. The A-list. <laughs> Ryan Adams, Craig Finn, uh, Margaret Cho, Grantley Phillips, as well as Bob Mould himself is going to be performing. The concert's going to be on November 21st. And whether or not it's going to be broadcasted uh, is still unknown, but I'm hoping there's going to be a recording of that. I would love to hear it. Yeah, really. Way to go, Bob. Face a 
Spotify is here, Bill. At last week's FA Developer Conference, Mark Zuckerberg of uh, Facebook fame, along with Spotify CEO David Eck, announced that the two companies will be teaming up in the very near future, which a lot of people had been kind of hearing rumors about. Yeah, with the changes recently made to the Facebook, huh? Yeah, Mm -hmm. and so Facebook and Spotify are joining, and the idea is that users will be able to listen to what their friends are listening to, as well as see what music their friends have discovered through uh, Spotify and Facebook. While Zuckerberg emphasized the benefits of being able to share and discover the new music bill with friends uh, via Facebook, Eck ambitiously suggested the merger is not only going to see that um, that whole exchange happening on Facebook, but it's also going to uh, help consumers to start purchasing music again, hopefully. While several sites are suggesting this will change the music industry forever, we're just going to have to wait, Bill, and see what happens. I don't know if it's going to help sell much more music. I don't think Pandora really helps yeah. sell more music. People like to interact and play with their music, but I, you know, I don't know how to encourage people to buy music other than... Yeah. You know, if they're a big fan of music, that's, I mean, that's what I do. I think that's what most people do. If you're a big fan of the album, if it's a great album and it really hits the sweet spot for you, you're going to go buy it. And I don't know if this is going to necessarily encourage that. Do you agree? I I agree. And I'm just going to go home and listen to uh, an album and then I'm going to make a phone call on my landline. (laughs) This is all making my head spin. Yeah. We're old school. (laughs) Thanks for filling in, Melanie Walker. Thanks. If you make sure you're connected, the writing's on the wall. But if your mind's neglected, stumble, you might fall, stumble, you might fall. Stumble, you might fall. New in stores this week, Apparatus, a new album. Those uh, potty-talking punks from San Diego, Blink-182, are back in business with a new album called Neighborhoods. Also a new one from Dum Dum Girls, Gloria Estefan. Yep, that Gloria Estefan is a new one called Miss Little Havana. Jane's Addiction's new album is called The Great Escape Artist and sounds a bit different, shall we say. Also new this week, Leanne Rimes, Plaid, Tom Veck, his first album in five years. Hold that thought on Mr. Veck. Twin Sisters' new album is called In Heaven. Also VHS or Beta with Diamonds and Death. And the new album from Wilco, big one around here. It's our CD of the week. It's called The Whole Love. They sold out those December shows at the State Theater already. And uh, also a new one this week from DJ Shadow. In fact, uh, let's listen to a track right now. The album is called The Less You Know, The Better. And this one features Tom Veck. It's called Warning Call, here on Music Heads. What is
Music Heads, music news for music lovers. I want to welcome Melanie Walker to the studio for our next big thing feature. She's going to talk about who you got, Gary Clark Jr. What's his story? Texas Gary, guitar player? Gary Clark Jr., he's the future of Texas blues. He's a soul man, he's a blues man, he's a rock and roll man. Gary Clark Jr. is a real deal, Bill. You He's a 27-year-old self-taught blues guitarist who was born and raised in Austin, Texas. He began playing the guitar really at a young age, around 12. Yeah, you can tell he didn't pick this thing up yesterday. No, not at all. And he's, he's been playing those small gigs in his early teens until one day he was noticed by a legendary promoter that I know you're familiar with called Clifford Antone, mm-hmm. who's the owner of the legendary um, Austin Blues Club Antone. And he had his own label for a long time there, too. Yeah, he did. Um, and if you're not familiar with the history of Antones, it's basically the place that provided the launching pad for uh, you know modern blues music with folks like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimmy Vaughan. Jimmy, too, sure. Yeah, and so, you know, I mean, for anybody who's into blues music, this was probably Gary's dream to be playing alongside sure. these people at this mm-hmm. club. So he soon, um, you know, got a lot of critical acclaim around town, you know, not just from his Austin community, but uh, from all kinds of musical peers in the blues community. He played the Austin City Limits alongside Jimmy Vaughn, mm-hmm. Pine Top Perkins, Doyle Bramhall. He was handpicked by Eric Clapton to play the 2010 Crossroads Guitar Festival, which is also hosted by Clapton. That's a Boy, big... all the bigs are there. Exactly. I mean, Buddy Guy and the like, B.B. King. So all the big names play at that thing. Yeah, John Mayer. When I saw Gary Clark Jr. play in um, Austin, for South by Southwest, I mean, he is a phenomenal guitar player. I mean, really finger-numbing guitar Yeah, he has that big kind of chunky sound that the, the Black Keys kind of get, doesn't he? He does sound a lot like the Black Keys. Um, but, I, I mean, he's got range as well. He's got a smoky falsetto that he pulls out of his mm-hmm. hat every once in a while and sounds very Marvin Gaye-ish. Um, we were listening to a track that was very kind of Elvis Presley rock and roll, like 50s yeah, rock and 50s roll. Yeah, 50s with that falsetto going on. It was kind of nice. It was really cool. Please come. Gary's a big deal. He's been awarded the Austin Music Award for Best Blues and Electric Guitarist on three separate occasions. That's a pretty prestigious award down there, too. Yeah, and at one point, the mayor of Austin actually proclaimed May 3rd Gary Clark Jr. Day. Well, that's so, super cool. So he's a huge uh, hero in the Austin music community. And he's also an actor, mm-hmm. which I didn't know. You say he's in a film with uh, Danny Glover, is that what you mentioned? Yeah, it was a film, uh, John Sayles' film, actually, mm-hmm. called Honey Dripper that I haven't seen, but I'm going to run out and go get it. Yeah, I'm curious now, now, too. You piqued my curiosity. Yeah. 
but I mean, rock and roll and blues music has shaped virtually every medium of music over the years, um, from hip hop to country music. So it's an important genre, yeah. and I really feel like Gary uh, Clark Jr. truly exemplifies the the future of blues music. It's dirty, it's guitar driven, it's dripping with heartache. Uh, and I just think he's going to be the next big thing. I think he's finally going to go from just being big in the blues community to and the big mainstream. in Texas. Yeah, but he's working on his fourth album right now that's going to be coming out sometime this year on Warner Brothers Records. On the big label. On a big label. Mm-hmm. So he's going to hit the big time. I really hope so. Thanks for dropping by, Melanie. Stay tuned. We've got the guest list coming up next with singer-songwriter Sharon Van Etten sharing some of her favorite new tunes with us. But first, let's check out a track from Gary Clark Jr., Here's Don't Owe You a Thang on Music Music Heads, music news for music lovers. Time now for the guest list, where some of our favorite artists share the music they love with us. And Peter Pisano of the band Peter Wolf Cryer has dropped by. How you doing, Peter? I'm doing just better now that I'm one of the favorite artists. This, this is great. I'm glad you like this that. Is a, yeah, like if I could be, you know, introduced in every walk of life in that way, that would be fantastic. That is kind of a nice, nice compliment. Yeah, it has a nice ring to it this, too. This, this it? is this is my, my my friend Bill. He's one of my favorite people in the world. Hey, thanks, man. I, I like that. <laughs> How's it been going? How's it been going with you? Good, man. We just um, this is like the only time during the year when like music is actually in an eight-hour-a-day job. Mm-hmm. You know, you're and, doing rehearsals and stuff, and yeah. getting ready for for a little road trip. I would imagine. That's huh? right. That's right. All right. So, what what music have you been listening to, Peter? What are you digging? Well, uh, it's funny that I just brought up L.A. because there's a dude named Blake Mills that I've been listening to quite a bit. There are very few guitar players who who come along who I who I listen to and I say that is um that's a uh, guitar player who could bring a guitar playing to another place. It just it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like it's the same innovative art that it that that that, that it was maybe like in the 60s and in in 70s. Yeah. How would you um, how would you explain his music? He's a guitar player? Yeah, he's 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 a well, he used to be in the band Simon Dawes. Okay. So so Simon oh, Dawes gotcha was now. Blake mm-hmm. Mills and Taylor and the rest of those guys and you know and we went out with 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 Dawes for a while, and those guys were pushing his stuff to me hard you know and so yeah. you would expect that 
former bandmate stuff, you know, that they wouldn't necessarily be handing off his CDs. Especially, you know, when they're a band who's really, you know, kind of climbing, their career's kind of taken off a little bit, too. Absolutely. And they're giving a plug to their former band member. Yeah, know? and it's, you know, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily need all, all that much because he's, he's doing pretty well. I mean, the dude yeah. grew up being in a band with uh, Roy Orbison's son and Dickie Betts' son. Oh, goodness. Um, and now he's just like, he's this studio musician, like out in LA, he played on Kid Rock's record. He played, he was Band of Horses, brought him on as, as, as their touring uh, guitar player. So he's, you know, the he, all of those dudes are like 20 to 23. Mm-hmm. So he's probably not much older than some of the interns working here. Yeah, the drummer probably isn't even old enough to have a beer yet. No, he's definitely not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so Blake is this like 23-year-old kid who plays guitar with, you know, he's he's actually uh, uh, Lucinda's guitar player, Lucinda Williams' oh, guitar player. Oh, I've now. seen his name being bandied about. They always talk about the really young guitar player. There it is. And, yeah, and that's him. That's I, him. I had no idea. You know, it's like you're, he's filling, you know, um, uh, Bo Ramsey's shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, those are pretty big shoes to fill. Like, I think Lucinda's guitar player is a very coveted thing. Oh, yeah. And so it's, yeah. it's got to be someone who's, like, super refined in their playing, but at the same time... Uh, I don't know. I just I I listen to him and I can tell that that the kid grew up listening to all the records that a guitar player should, but I don't. But it doesn't. But his music, his songs specifically, don't sound like those those songs. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I'm amazed that a 23 year old could could pick up on. There's something for me to learn from this pile of 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 records, but I'm gonna make my own and it's gonna be in a different pile. And you I, have, I don't yeah. know how he did it. Do you have a particular song you'd like us to listen to from Blake Mills? Oh man, um, uh, Hiroshima, that's a really beautiful song. What else have you been listening to? I so I listen to to more to more hip hop generally than, mm-hmm. than probably any other genre, and that's because so many of my friends, like Joe and, and Nobird, and well Bobby and Grandmas are all good friends, and I've um, some of like the face candy thing is also a very close thing, and being a part of Coloring Time is like that's like a very I'm just like in a stew of a lot of improvisational artists, and they oftentimes end up being hip hop artists, right? Um, and so I listen to, to 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 a lot of that. I just recently got. I'm really getting into like to 90s hip hop. Just there's something about like the the samples and those kinds of break beats that are just really uh, appealing to me. So mm, the Wu Tang thing is a is a totally new thing because I was just watching the the Rock the Bells documentary, which is specifically about like one concert and um, my my good friend recently passed, Mike uh, of Idean Abilities. He, he Idean Abilities played it. I think they were like. Um, like two on like a six band slot or something yeah. like that and Wu-Tang was scheduled to headline so there's this really beautiful documentary of this show trying to come together and it's funny I was just with um, just with my roommate Alexi and he used to hype for Atmosphere so Slug was helping us move some some furniture and I'm yeah. like dude like you know I was just 
just beaming about this 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 documentary so i had to illegally download it for him it's it's funny how it's kind of all it's like making its way back to the people who like are a part of this of this story but that that really beautiful documentary um which is just great for me to get to just to see a few more moments with a friend who i don't get to share any more time with um that exposed me to to the wu-tang clan and to odb and then I went on uh, Hulu, and then I just got lost in that. There's a dirty one-word change, the world, or something like that. There's a, there's a documentary on on, mm-hmm. on him. And that is a ODB is a rabbit hole that you can like before you know it, you're on some like conspiracy stuff. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's it's like a, there's a whole culture just built into the way that that guy lived his life and just something really. Free we lost him it. way too young. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Any particular track you'd like us to check out? I like ODB's first record way more than the, the second record. I don't know like what it is. The dude just like got out of jail. The the productions. I think like the Neptunes produced it. Maybe I could t- or maybe it's Timberland. I could be totally getting that wrong. But I just don't really like the vibe of it. I think um, I think Brooklyn Zoo uh, off of the first record is probably like the place to start. It's like it's most distilled. I think. In that. All right, Peter. Thanks so much for dropping by. Absolutely. It's Peter Pisano, the band Peter Wolf Cryer. It's been the guest list here on 89.3 The Current, and this is music from ODB. Same with you, with you stepped up. The old dirty bastard, Brooklyn, so shame on you when you step through, too. The old dirty bastard, Brooklyn, so Brooklyn, so shame yeah. when you step through, too. The old dirty bastard, Brooklyn, so shame on you when you step through, too. The old dirty bastard, Brooklyn, so shame on you when you step through, too. The old dirty bastard, Brooklyn, so what? When you step up to Shame, shame, shame with you When you step up to Shame with you When you step up to The old dirty bastard Brooklyn, so Shame on you When you step up to The old dirty bastard Brooklyn, so I'm sick of critics Everybody is a critic. That's whack, dude. Man. Oh my gosh. You suck. This sucks. Shoes, pants, and It's now time for the music meeting. I wanted to welcome Teenage Kicks host Jackie Fuller. Welcome back, Jackie. Thanks for having me back. Mm-hmm. And our evening host, Mark Weed, is in the house. Thanks for having me back. And Jackie's been filling in on the morning show, I hear, and doing a really good job. So we should nice put that work on there, a Jackie. Well, thanks. Way to go. Real life Annie Clark is back with another St. Vincent album. Her third album is called Strange Mercy. Annie's been playing guitar since she was 12 and even toured with her uncle, the new agey Tuck and Patty, at a very early age. She also wore the robe in the band Polyphonic Spree and worked with Sufjan Stevens as well. Strange Mercy is different from her last album, Actor. She ditched the strings in favor of more guitar. The album is full of interesting sounds. You don't hear albums like this very often. Vocally, Clark sounds a bit like Feist or Kate Bush, but her music is edgier and more experimental than either of them. Many tracks feature off-kilter drums, fuzzy guitars, and lots of weirdness from instruments like Minnie Moog and Wurlitzer organ and clavinet. Clark's music can dance around from angelic to spooky on a dime. Here's a track from the new Strange Mercy album from St. Vincent. This is called Cruel, here on Music Heads.
All right, the new album is called Strange Mercy from St. Vincent. Jackie, is it working for you? It is so working for me. I am so pleased with this album. I I have a funny feeling this one's going to be making it into my top 10 this year. Mm -hmm. I've been a fan of St. Vincent since she first came out uh, with her debut album back in 2007, Marry Me. Although, I will say that as impressed as I was with that album, my my admiration for Annie Clark has just grown and grown and grown over the years. It grew a little more with the next album, Actor. Mm -hmm. It grew when I saw her live. I got to see her at the Cedar Cultural Center, and I just had no idea how that girl could shred. Yeah. And uh, it's grown so much more with this album. It just feels like she's just really come into herself as as a musician, as a songwriter, and it, it knocked my socks off. By the smile on your face, I can tell that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> you can't that's see my awesome. smile in radio, but it is. I, I just love her. She's just uh, she's amazing to watch live. She's this tiny, diminutive little lady, and she yeah. just is so talented on the guitar and has an amazing voice. I mean, really sings so confidently. Almost like Kate Bush or something yeah, sometimes. Yeah, a little bit. When Marry Me came out, I, I really enjoyed the album, but there was a little bit of her that was kind of quirky and sweet, yeah. and that's been sort of eroding away. She's getting a little darker. She got a little darker with actor, and with this album, um, she's really exploring some weird, dark, psychological territory in her songs, and um, and playing with the guitar in really way, really new and interesting ways. Yeah. So yeah. what song caught your ear, Jackie? Well, there's a few on here that caught my mm-hmm. ear, but uh, I have to say that the one that really just uh, knocked my socks off the first time I heard it was is the one that we've been spinning quite a bit here on The Current, Surgeon. And the first time I heard it, I was actually driving in for my morning show shift uh, early in the morning. And as I heard it, I thought... Okay, okay, this is cool. I'm really digging this. Is she kind of riffing on Prince's Computer Blue? I, I'm not sure, but she could easily be doing it that. It really sounded mm-hmm. like it to me, and that was the first question that came into my head. And then as I sat with the song, as it gets toward the end, she breaks out with this full-on, funky Prince guitar wailing. And I said, oh my God, I think she is. Yeah, and it's it near just, chaos there oh, goes into that one. It's fantastic, mm-hmm. and I just love the way the song holds back and then just lets everything loose. How about you? Can you follow that up? Is it working for you? I'm not sure I can, although it's a great segue because uh, I really like that song too when we've been playing it on the on the air, so I was primed to enjoy this album. I have to say the first couple of times I listened to it, I was trying to do other things. I was driving the car, I was sitting at the desk uh, doing an email one day, and it wasn't really working for me, and I was a little worried. It was like it seemed too quirky in places and uh, it wasn't catching my ear the way I wanted it to and then literally this morning I thought alright I'm going to give it a chance to uh, sit down and listen to it from start to finish without any expectations of doing anything else and when I did I was totally won over because it's my belief that this thing is a piece of work that should be appreciated from start to finish without interruption in fact I'd love to see her do that on stage. I don't know if she's going to. She's presented by the Walker Art Center, so I feel this thing could be presented in almost a theatrical way as performance art from start to finish because I think it has a story 
And I think the story is really powerful. I think Jackie touched on it. It's kind of bearing her soul, her passion. She's almost afraid to let the tiger in her come out in case it scares people. And during the album, she tells the story of what that does to her. And I think it literally climaxes on my favorite track, which I'm glad to say has kind of a local connection because it's track five. It's precisely in the middle of the album. It's called Northern Lights, and I think from then on the story changes. And uh, that's my favorite track on the new Strange Mercy. As a female artist, I, I did read one interview with her that uh, asked her about some of the lyrical things that made it to the interviewer, who I think was a guy, sound sexy. He, he said there was a lot of sexiness in it. He specifically said uh, one of the lyrics from Surgeon that I spent the whole summer lying on my back. He took that as a sexual reference, and she kind of dodged it and said, maybe that's because I was so depressed I couldn't get out of bed, you know? Um, but I think this album is about gender about sex about energy it was interesting that jackie introduced her and made it made a point of saying what a great instrumentation you know she plays the guitar she shreds the guitar all the stuff that's ever been written about annie has all been about the way she performs and how great a guitar player she is mm -hmm. i think she actually as a woman wants to be sexy and have that not diminish what people think of her because i think so many female artists have that problem that as soon as they go sexy as soon as something in their voice suggests i don't know whether it's a stereotype of sleazy or romantic even they are kind of denigrated that their art is denigrated and i think in the same way that pj harvey has done this mm -hmm. annie has done that she's kind of owned encapsulated it. owned her female mm -hmm. power and it hasn't taken away from the quality of the work in fact I think it adds to it enormously. Yeah. yeah, well, she starts the album off with an S&M song. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I like about her is her contradictions. You know, she's got the angelic voice, the shredding guitar. There's a contradiction. And it's all, all of her music is, is kind of that and the way she presents it. And, and uh, you know, it's beautiful and it's beastly at the same time. Totally. And uh, I think that's what makes her kind of interesting. Do you guys think that she is well on her way to the next level? Or do you think this is as good as she gets right now? I mean, her music isn't really pop oriented i mean there's it's it's uh, meanders and there's it just it's not you know just your basic verse chorus verse chorus kind of stuff no really. it isn't but i think like similar artists like florence and the machine i mean bjork's going to come out with an album this year that's not going to be easy i think mm -hmm. um just strangely a couple of key female artists are doing this and having success in fact more success than i would have given them credit for not because of the quality but because of the mainstream likelihood of them florence and the machine to me is still a huge surprise that's quirky pop and i think annie is just pushing it a little bit further and i think if certainly if she pulls it off live she's definitely mm -hmm. taking it to the next level this she's is a huge step certainly strikes me as just from interviews that i've read about her as someone who 
musically and artistically never sleeps. I don't yeah. see her slowing down anytime soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's got a good cast of players that are that helped her out with this album. And uh, you know, I'm not all that familiar with Bobby Sparks, but apparently he's a Grammy winner. <laughs> and in that first track, you know, there's all kinds of different weirdness that uh, you know, there's like Moog organs and Wurlitzers and clavinets. And instrumentally, I think this album is amazing. You know, it's it's really arty and really kind of interesting, and you hear new things every time you listen listen to it. Cheerleader uh, felt to me like a, a sort of manifesto from her too. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. when she says, "I don't, I don't want to be your cheerleader." The, I see America with be... no clothes on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's I. I felt like her just like planting her flag in the ground and saying, "This is who I am." On this album, it's. Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the cheerleader bit, the the kind of tiger year of the tiger, the mm-hmm. last track, I think sounds like she used to have. A kind of attitude that an early coach would have called called her Tiger, and that she's been hiding that while she's been creating this career because she has been a cheerleader. All of the things you see written about, and she used to be in Polyphonic Spree, she mm-hmm. used to be the backing band for da 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 da. She always was the cheerleader, and she's come up through those ranks. And I think that's why that cheerleader goes into surgeon because she considers having it cut out, literally, like cut that Tiger thing out of you because. You're successful now, but you've kept it hidden. You can't show it. And then the next song saying, I'm going to show it. And I think it's going to be as good as the Northern Lights. And from there on, I think she's trying on those those sexy, powerful, you know, gender centric costumes, if you like, mm-hmm. in, in different ways in each different song. And so uh, it kind of comes to the end and says there, I'm going, you know, looking back on the year of the tiger. I did it. And I she's, am the tiger. She's 28. I know. Yeah. Is she's, her oyster. she's just getting started. <laughs> yes. Well, Jackie and Mark, thanks so much for dropping by. A pleasure. It's, thanks. it's been fun chatting. It's the music meeting here on 89.3, The Current. When I was young, coach called me the tiger. listening to Music Heads, music news for music lovers. Time now for The Essentials, where we let you know what records are must-have to any Music Heads collection. Joining me today is our morning show co-host, Jill Riley, is in the house. How are you doing, Jill? I'm doing well. 
So I picked um, a record that I feel like everybody should have, and they should have it on vinyl in and their collection. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you at all. All right, because I know that this is one that we definitely agree on. Yes, totally. Um, so I picked the Flying Burrito Brothers, the first record, The Gilded Palace of Sin from 1969. So a little background on the Flying Burrito Brothers. Um, basically, they were born out of... Um, well, a couple members of the birds kind of right. going out on their own. Like, Graham Parsons was around. Um, Graham Parsons, like, really the guy behind the Flying Burrito Brothers, in the early days anyway. Uh, he was a part of the birds for a short time. Mm-hmm. And he took them into more of a country direction after being, you know, the, the psychedelic rock band, the birds. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and they made Sweetheart of the Rodeo, which right. wasn't really appreciated in its time. But now people look back and, um, you know, a lot of bands will cite that record yeah. as an influence. Yeah. And also Chris Hillman, who played bass guitar for the birds, also mm-hmm. left. And together they formed the Flying Burrito Brothers. And I don't think that Chris Hillman gets his due. And maybe it's because he's still alive. Yeah, that's That probably, he hasn't yeah. been, you know, called a legend legend of that sort of birth of alt country. Um, so the first record from the Flying Burrito Brothers, and you know what, they didn't get their due at the time either. This is another record that it's only really looking back on that people understand kind of what exactly they were doing and how important it was that they were really trying to bridge the gap between rock and roll music and country music. And Graham Parsons called it American Cosmic Music. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really like the idea of the label um, alt country or country rock. He just thought that they were making music. This old So um, other members rounding out the uh, Flying Burrito Brothers on this first record, so Graham Parsons, Chris Hillman, um, Sneaky Pete, who played the pedal steel, but really played it with this like cool, fuzzed-out, psychedelic yeah, he played, sound. Yeah, played it like a rocker. And uh, Chris Etheridge, um, also in the band as well. So the cover of this record is so great because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the four members are all wearing their their nudie suits. They're right. very, you know, old-fashioned country western suits. I guess those things weighed like 50 pounds. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I saw Graham Parsons' um, nudie suit at the Country Music Hall of Fame wow. in Nashville and <laughs> I didn't it have didn't it have like uh, all kinds of weird it had like pot Oh yeah, he on had like stuff, pills right? on it yeah. and pot leaves <laughs> which is like, you know, that's where the whole like, you know, taking country music and country traditions, but they were still hippie boys at Mm, heart. mm -hmm. So um, it's just so great. And Sneaky Pete, I don't know what was going on with his uh, nudie suit. It looks like a a wizard suit or a pair of pajamas. It was was black. It's very strange. I don't know if it was a jacket. It looked like a turtleneck. No, it it really, it looks like a zip up adult feety pajamas. It's very strange. (laughs) But... um, this record is just amazing. Uh, Sin City is a great song. They do a version of Do Right Woman. Yeah, the Dan Penn song. That was it. Uh, Aretha Franklin had a big yep, hit. That was that her one. big yeah. hit. Mm-hmm. So if you wanna do
also um, Hot Burrito Number no. 1 is just a beautiful, beautiful, um, really a love song. With Graham Parsons just had this voice where, I mean, he was a young guy. I mean, he died at the age of, I think was he, he was 27. He wasn't 27. He was, he, I think he was 26. It was yeah. just before his 27th birthday that he overdosed out in, um, uh, where Joshua was he? Tree. Joshua Tree. Actually mm-hmm. at the Joshua Tree Inn, room number eight out yes, in California. Which is, uh, yeah, if you're a true uh, Parsons fan, that's where you stay if you yeah, get out Yeah, you should book a room if, if you're out it's near, there. It's near Palm Springs. <laughs> um, but he just had such, um, just this hurt to his voice. I mean, he grew up in a, a wealthy family, but there was a lot going on kind of behind the scenes they didn't have like the picture perfect life that that the family probably wanted to put out there but um, for a young man he just he was he had an old soul I think and you can hear it in songs like Hot Burrito number one Discovered the Flying Burrito Brothers? You know, I'm not quite sure. I think that um, I ran across like a Graham Parsons Flying Burrito Brothers best of record. Oh, I know, it, I know that one. That was out on AM Records. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, mm-hmm. it included some like Flying Burrito Brothers. Some, actually, he was in a band called the International Submarine Band. Which I are more of a, yeah, more of a folk band. Yeah, more mm-hmm. of like a folky country kind of thing. Matching suit band. And there was just <laughs> something about his voice that I was really attracted to. And then I um, watched, there was some sort of documentary about Graham Parsons on TV. And then I kind of learned more about him and that, I mean, he was really a young guy and what he was doing, um, you know, trying to, again, rock and roll and country music together with like a psychedelic sound. And the fact that he was making this music and it didn't really fit in anywhere. That kind of intrigued me as well, because it's not like the Flying Burrito Brothers were accepted in Nashville. It doesn't matter how many nudie suits you were wearing. They were they were still long hairs and they didn't really have a place, you know, in the psychedelic world either. So that whole thing kind of intrigued me about how they were really doing something groundbreaking, but probably didn't know it at the time. Yeah, it's kind of funny, too, if you realize how influential they are. Either it probably wouldn't be the Twin Cities own Jayhawks. Sure. And, you know, think about the Rolling Stones. Wild Horses is a song that, uh, you know, they both did, and uh, they, uh, he had such an influence on Keith Richards and, to a point, uh, to Mick as well, which is which is really cool. So he had an influence on the rock scene 
and the bands that were to come later, like the Jayhawks and Wilco and Uncle Tupelo and uh, old 97s and stuff like that, too. So he's hugely influential. He's, uh, he's one of those people there's, that uh, probably sold way more records after he passed away than he did while he was still alive. And I think that's part of the reason why Chris Hillman, who was one of the founding members of the Flying Burrito mm-hmm. Brothers, he's still alive and well. Yeah. So um, I think that he'll kind of get his due someday. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but Graham Parsons, you know, when you die young, you become a mystery. You become a bit of a legend. All right, Jill, thanks for dropping by. Sure. Mm -hmm. She brought in the Flying Burrito Brothers, the Gilded Palace of Sin album from 1969. Do you want to pick one more out to wrap things up here? Well, I think we should go out with um, probably the most well-known song from Mm -hmm. the record. So this one is Christine's Tune, and just listen for that fuzzed out, uh, just really cool-sounding psychedelic pedal steel guitar. So the Flying Burrito Brothers from the Gilded Palace of Sin on 89.3 The Current. when you're having fun. It's been Music Heads from 89.3 The Current and Minnesota Public Radio. I want to thank my colleagues for contributing to the show, including Jill Riley, Melanie Walker, Mark Wheat, Teenage Kicks host Jackie Fuller, and big props to Peter Pisano of Peter Wolf Cryer for chatting about some of the music he's been digging. As always, special thanks to executive producer Melanie Walker and to Derek Stevens for helping to make this show happen, and to our intern, Alex Wright. Thanks to members of Minnesota Public Radio and The Current for making shows like this one happen. And thanks to you for listening. Find us at thecurrent.org slash musicheads. We'll wrap up this week's show with a sneak peek of a track from an artist who took the world by storm a little over a year ago, Florence and the Machine, with a track here from the forthcoming album. The album's expected to be released in early November. It'll be called Ceremonials. Early reports suggest an epic sound in this album. And here's a little taste. It's called Shake It Off. We'll catch you in a week with music here from Florence and the Machine to close up the show. I'd like to keep-